0: So here we are, Palm Sunday. I'll have to go ahead and ask for your prayers. I have a like, caffeine withdrawal, withdrawal caliber headache going this morning for some reason. I think someone tricked me and switched my coffee with decaf. Someone's trying to sabotage me. So if I just sort of pass out at any point in the service, I <laughs> don't know why. Um, Palm Sunday is here. Are you guys ready for Easter? I mean, does it feel like Easter yet to you? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if this really, if you're into it. Getting... No, raise your hand. If, if some people. All right, good. Raise your hand if this is like, yeah, if this is like Easter's here. Is anybody on that? Yeah, it looks like. I'm kind of wearing that, but it just seems like, man, all of a sudden, man, Easter week. But I'm excited. Now, look at Jesus' life, we're gonna. It's a simple sermon today. I'm gonna be honest with you. We're just going to read some scripture and just kind of reflect on on the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. His entry into this this final week before his death and his resurrection. We're just going to kind of take it in together. Um, So it's it's going to be a simple one this this morning, which uh, may be a relief to some. I've tackled some pretty difficult subjects recently. But as we read this, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 21. This is... This is it. All of Jesus' life and ministry has been working up to this, to this week. This is the climax that we're coming to. All the Gospels, as you read them, point to this. This is why Jesus came. And as he moves forward each step toward Jerusalem during Passover, uh, toward when he's going to be crucified, the tensions are mounting between him and the, uh, the religious Jewish I don't know what call it, organization. The tensions are mounting. The excitement is mounting from the crowds because he's healing people. The news is spreading. So this is a climactic event that we're going to read. So we're going to pick up here and just start reading in Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there, and part with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has needed them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Now I want to flip back a few books to Zechariah where he's quoting from. Did you catch that quote from a prophet in there? Let's flip back a few books to Zechariah chapter 9. It's near the end of the Old Testament, or you can follow along up there. Zechariah 9, 9. This was a prophet many, many years before Jesus predicting his arrival. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This event that we commemorate each year is the arrival of the king. This was the king entering. The just king. There's a good king. The king is entering. He's endowed with salvation, he is the only hope. And he's entering into Jerusalem, this climactic event, and he enters on a little donkey. He enters in humility. To get the, the starkness of this, do you guys remember watching President Obama's inauguration on TV and just the crowds and it was just chaos and mayhem? It was similar craziness when Jesus entered. Now picture of President Obama riding in on like a 10-speed huffy bicycle with just shorts and a t-shirt on. And that's how he, he enters. That's kind of the contrast of what's happening when Jesus enters here. The crowds are going crazy. If you remember last year, when they're shouting Hosanna, the the word there sometimes is translated croaked. They are undignified. They are going crazy. And here comes Jesus humbly entering on a donkey. There's a misconception about humility, I think, that humility is weakness. Humility is not weakness. Humility is power. It's power set aside for the benefit of somebody else. Jesus was the king. He could have established his rule right then, right there, killed all of his enemies, but he didn't. He rode in on a donkey. He was just. He knew who was righteous, who was not. He could have sent people to judgment right then and right there, but he didn't. He rode in on a donkey in humility. He was a, he was a lion acting like a lamb. He had the power, but he wasn't exercising that power. He was acting like a lamb. He was the Lion of Judah acting as the Passover lamb. Now, if you don't understand a lot about Passover, I'd really like you to come this Wednesday because we're going to talk a good bit about it. But he's entering Jerusalem around the time of Passover. Passover is, let's start here. He remembers the Exodus. You know, the, the ten plagues. God does these amazing plagues to bring his people out of Egypt. Moses is, is the spokesman for God. The tenth plague is the worst plague of all. All the firstborn of the Egyptians die. But God passes over the homes of the Israelites. Do you remember how, he, how they worked that? Why they passed over those homes? He passed over the homes that had the blood of a lamb over the doorposts. So in Exodus 12, we won't flip there right now, but there's pretty specific instructions laid out about Passover. You're to go a couple of days before Passover, pick out your family's lamb. Now if it's a lamb, picture a lamb. If you think sheep are cute, lambs are much cuter. It's a baby sheep. And it it's an unblemished, little, baby, soft, warm, cuddly Lamb. Are you picturing it? So you bring this lamb into your household a couple of days prior to Passover. Now let's just say in your household you had children. This lamb stays in the house with your family for several days. How long do you think it takes for a child to grow attached to a sweet, little, adorable, cuddly lamb? It's immediate. That lamb is their pet immediately. I'm sure that these kids probably named this, this lamb even though their parents told them not to. They grow attached. Some of you have, who has a pet in here? Oh man, a whole bunch of people have pets. I always had dogs growing up. I'm more of a dog person than a cat person. Nothing against cats. They just think they're better than me, you know? <laughs> they walk around and they look at you like, I time you. Whereas dogs are, they wag their tail, they love you. I have grown incredibly attached to any dog I've ever had. We even had one dog, uh, his name was Riley. It was actually my brother's family's dog, but they moved to a new house and they, they didn't have any space for him, so we kept Riley at our house for a little while. And Riley was used to staying inside. He wasn't a little dog, he was a big dog, but he had been spoiled. He was used to staying in the house with the humans. Which was us. And so he stayed in my room with me. He slept on a blanket beside my bed. This big, smelly dog slept in my room. And I grew to love Riley. But one day, just a couple weeks after we got Riley, I was coming home from CP. It was while I was in community college. Still living at the house. And when you pull up to my driveway, you come over a hill. And my driveway is sort of on the hill right here. I was driving over that hill and there in front of me was Riley sprawled out dead on the road. He had just gotten hit like a couple minutes before I came up. My, my dad was heading out with the wheelbarrow to, you know, to get him, and bury him. I know, I see on your faces that you feel my pain. It was painful. I was in college, mind you, I wasn't a little child, but it was painful. Um, that you know, I, I lost Riley there. He was like my buddy because all my friends had gone off to NC State and so. stuff. How do you think it impacted those children when their little lamb that was in the house for four days, when their daddy had to go and kill it? To put the, the blood of the lamb over their doorpost? You think that left a made an impact on those children? Do you think they understood? Imagine your kids. Do you think they would understand? I mean, you dads, as a dad, having to do this to your child's land that he's got so attached to. But this was effective. Because if those children were able to understand that that lamb had to die, that that blood had to be shed because of their sins. If, that, if those children were able to understand that it was only through the blood of that lamb that they could be saved. That God would pass over them. They were set to really understand the gospel as they got home. Some of us, I still suspect, wonder, why did Jesus have to die? In Corinthians, Paul calls him our Passover lamb. He is the ultimate Passover lamb. It's a very effective yearly reminder of the cost of our sin. Now, I want to keep reading here in Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 21... To see how the crowds responded to the Passover lamb as he entered Jerusalem. Picking up in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of, him, ahead of him. And those followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem... All the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth and Galilee. They were so excited. These people were so excited as they saw Jesus riding in. They were taking off their coats, laying them down. They were welcoming <laughs> him like a king. And they even said, look at what they're saying. They're saying, they were going ahead of him and saying, Hosanna. That means salvation. If you were here last year during our Palm Sunday service, we we talked about how it's what you would yell when you saw your your lifeguard coming to save you as you're drowning. Salvation is here. They were excited. They saw their salvation coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew he was somehow connected with the Lord. They knew he was a great prophet. They said, who is this? And people were saying, this is the prophet from Nazareth, the one everybody's talking about. They were so excited. But you see, as we continue reading, that they didn't really get it, though. They were just like those children. Those children at home who received their lamb, and they're so excited, they've got this cute lamb, but they don't understand who the lamb is. They cannot fathom that this this man they were celebrating is going to be put to death in just a few days. And then only because of his blood would they have a hope, a prayer for salvation. They're thinking he's going to come in, he's going to bring a new kingdom with him. No, they're not going to be ruled by anybody else anymore. And along with that, have to be associated mm-hmm. ideas of you know prosperity. You know, we're going to be our own people with our king. He's a great prophet. We'll have some political stability, political power here. But they didn't understand. Now, I almost titled this sermon Two Ways to Reject Jesus at Easter, but that just seemed like a downer. (laughs) And (laughs) then Palm Sunday, so I didn't go that route. But we do see in, in this story, I think, two ways that if we're not careful, we'll reject Jesus, even celebrating Easter. I mean, we see here that there is a way to celebrate Jesus as he arrives without really getting who he is. So the first way to reject Jesus as we celebrate Easter is to mistake him for our pet. Many of us mistake Jesus for our pet. Instead of obeying him as our Lord, clinging to him as our only hope for salvation... We mistake him for being our pet. We come to him, you know, when we're, when we're looking for just some time with our pet. When we're just looking for some comfort, some enjoyment. Otherwise, you know, we kind of leave him in his pen. We disregard his teaching. When he looks at us and says, Love your enemy we say, oh, isn't that cute? He's trying to communicate. Good boy. And we go on and we just disregard it totally. When he says, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. You have to take up your cross daily and live in obedience to me. And it's going to be hard. And we look at him and we say, oh, that Jesus... Always saying stuff. And we go on about our life living for ourselves. When he says all of life, all the commandments, everything God has said to you about how to live is summed up with these two things. Mm -hmm. Love God with everything you have. Your whole life turned inside out for God. Worshipping him in everything you do. And love others as yourself. Live totally for the benefit of other people. Don't be thinking about it yourself. Think about other people. Everything God has said is summed up in these two things. And we ruffle his hair a little bit and feel good. We spend some time with our pet. And we walk on into our lives, ignoring God, living for our benefit. Wondering why people aren't giving me what I deserve? That's one way to know that, that Jesus is your pet, not your Lord and Savior. If you spend a great deal of your time thinking about why you're not getting what you deserve, Jesus came and died so you wouldn't get what you deserve and what I deserve. I deserve to die. I don't deserve any connection with God. <clears throat> Living in light of Jesus, his real, his reality as King, Lord, Savior, that breeds humility and gratitude only. Not pride and, and a, a declaration of my rights. What you should be doing for me. That shows a misconception of who Jesus is. I'm going to steal something from another pastor named Francis Chan. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I'm stealing this from him. Because it makes a lot of sense. How many of you played games when you were growing up? Like uh, Simon Says. Let's play Simon Says. Okay, good. Everybody play Simon Says. Simon Says is a simple game, isn't? it? I say I'm the leader. I say Simon Says, pat your head. You all just lost. Nobody did. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Says, pat your head. Actually, do it. Don't get your blood flowing. It might get you. Get your mind going. Okay, touch your elbow. I didn't say Simon Says. (laughs) Some of you guys are rusty. (laughs) Simon Says is a simple game. When Simon says something, you do it. It, Jesus says, not just a simple. Jesus says something, we do it. No, our game Jesus says, we memorize what he said. Or we gather in a Bible study, study what he said. Rather than just do it. It shows a misconception of who this is. Is he our Lord? I mean... Is he the authority over our lives? Or is he just our our pet that makes us feel good to have in our pocket? That doesn't really impact our lives that much. Now I love how... I should just show the video of Francis Chan talking through this. Because man, it made sense to me. Because he says, you know, my daughter... If I tell... Or I'll use my example, my son. If I tell him to clean his room... He knows better than to go away and come back and say, Well, I didn't clean my room, but I got my friends together, and we studied what it would look like to clean my room. And feel good about that. If we go into Easter without clarifying who this man is, man, we're going to miss it all. We're going to miss the life that he bought for us, the salvation, and his blood. And we're going to have the shallow idea... That he's just our pet. There's another way that we could, if we are careful, reject Jesus as we celebrate Easter. I'm going to read you. I'm going to jump a few books over to Luke to read part of his account of this event. Luke 19, starting verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're responding to the fact that the disciples have started this chaos of everybody shouting about Jesus being the Savior and and the King. The Pharisees say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Have you ever noticed that? this joyful entry into Jerusalem that has everybody so excited, if you could see through the chaos of the crowd to Jesus' face, what would you see? You'd see tears. He's weeping. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, you who know the scriptures, even you, the things which make for peace. If you had known in this day the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you. When your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. And surround you. And hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground. And your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And then he goes on. Really he goes on to have a series of kind of. Very, maybe not, maybe violence not the word, but very confrontational interactions with, with the uh, Jewish religious folks. Right after this is when he goes into the temple and he starts turning over tables and saying, This is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you're making it a den of robbers. You all remember that story? It happens right after all this. And he walks by a fig tree and he curses it and it withers. A lot of kind of difficult things Jesus does right after this. But the first way I see in this story of how we might reject Jesus in Easter is trying to make him like our pet. The second way is just to silence him. Like these religious Jews came up and said, Jesus, just quiet this down. The way I think we do this, you know, we have his word here. You know, who all has their Bible with them? I had a college uh, pastor that always had hold our Bible up. Go ahead and hold your Bible up. At the beginning of each college class, and we'd say, Word. I always thought that was really cool. I'm not going to do it here because you guys don't seem as into it as I was. <laughs> we have our Bibles here. And they are... This book is, is constantly, perpetually <clears throat> calling out to us. It's God's voice constantly whispering from these pages to us. It's a dangerous thing to live our lives surrounded by Bibles whispering out God's voice to us and to just ignore it. I believe the Bible teaches that each day that goes by that you do that, is the harder it is, the harder your heart is for that voice to penetrate. Don't silence Jesus as we head into Easter. What an easy thing it is to come and hear a sermon. What an easy thing it is to come and hear this and then you just kind of leave and just, you know, the, the echoes of what you heard just fade to nothing and it's gone. I mean, you guys remember what we talked about last week? Week before? Week before that? And this isn't a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. We're heading into the most joyous time of the year. But I think it's a tone appropriate for this event in history. Because if we're responding like the crowds or like the religious people this morning, Jesus is not smiling and thrilled with it. He's weeping. And he's weeping because he loves these people. He loves them and he's saying, gosh, you of all people who know the scripture should know what this is. I am the way to peace. And you're trying to silence me, to ignore me, to take me for something far less than what i am." He loves them, so he's weeping over what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Just like he loves us. And I pray that we as a church and as individuals will head into Easter in such a way that would not cause Christ to weep because we're missing it. You know, he he says the way is narrow to those who are going to find salvation, the way is broad. Those who are just going to miss it. If there's one thing that keeps me up at night, being a pastor of a lot of people, 125 people, is I'm thinking if we're a cross-section of humanity, it's a narrow margin of people, even in this church, that might be finding it. Because we see through Jesus' interaction with with the uh, religious folks that knew the Scripture, that a lot of them are missing it. So I just want you to, to, as we head into Easter, ask yourself these questions. Who is Jesus to me? You know, are are we like the crowds who saw Him as, yes, Savior, but we see Him as Savior from physical pain, or social pain, or poverty, or or these things? Do we see Him as Savior of, of those things, or do we see Him as our only hope for life, now and eternal? It makes all the difference in the world. Do we see him as a great prophet, a great teacher, a great leader, a neat guy? Or do we see him as our Lord? That we would orient our entire lives around, obeying him, living like him. That's where life is found. I thought of a few questions that might help us think through this. Would your life look let, well, let me rephrase. How would your life look different if all the Bibles in the world disappeared? How many Bibles you have in your house just somehow disappeared. Would your life look any different? Would you notice? If it wouldn't look any different, I think that we are silencing His voice in our lives. If Jesus had come and lived, but he never died on the cross, and he never rose again, would that make your life look any different? Does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ affect your life in any real way? Would it look any different if that had never happened? If it wouldn't, I think there's something there that you need to to search out. Well, no, actually, I'd live the same way I do now. I'd probably think the same way I do now. Follow that and see what's in your heart there. Really. Who do you think Jesus is? What are you trusting Him for?
1: Because I think everyone in here would say, Yeah,
0: I trust Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. But it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to live that. Let me ask you another question. What are you looking for here at Doolings Grove Advent Christian Church that you couldn't find at the Buddhist temple in Matthews? Because I bet if you go there, I've never been, but I bet you could find some sort of direction for your life. Some peaceful meditation. Probably some some fellowship, some family-like fellowship with some of the other Buddhists there. Well, sure, you'd miss... You'd never know the king of the universe You'd never be on his team And sure you'd miss salvation From your sins But is there anything That you're coming here for That you couldn't get over there Because lots of times we come to church And we miss the whole Lord and Savior piece We get the the direction and purpose for our lives The sense of well-being That comes from being around nice people Who care about us We get that but don't just settle for that and miss who Jesus is. Ask yourselves these questions. Jesus is not our pet. If we would look cl- more closely at Jesus, who sometimes we just pet and, and, and pet, we would see that that is a lion. Who is reserving his strength and his power, giving us a chance. Giving us time. Because he doesn't want anyone to die. He wants us all to be saved from our sins through his blood. But when he returns, it's going to be a different story. He came in powerful humility. When he returns, it's just going to be power. And every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess. We have to think just about ourselves. And, and just a minute. I'm coming to a close here record-breakingly early. (laughs) You know, we'll sing a song and and we'll have a time of prayer. And I really want you, just, just for yourself, don't be thinking about the person to your right or to your left. Just for yourself. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? What does His resurrection mean to me? Because church should look like... This is the last thing I'm going to say. I think. Church should look like... (laughs) Follow me on this. I should have thought this through before I started, but now I'm in it. Follow me on this. Church should look like a group of Egyptians huddled in a house with the blood of the Lamb over the door to be saved from God's wrath. I say that because I don't think there's anyone... Jewish in here. We're all Gentiles which means that we're grafted in from the outside. We're more like Egyptians huddled under the blood of the Lamb than we are like Israel. How am not losing you on that? But we should be a people just huddled together praising God that, and trusting in the blood of this Lamb that God has provided a way for us to be passed over and we should just be so grateful. And we should look at each other and think man, I'm glad we're in here. I'm glad that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Because I should be out there. (coughs) Okay, this will be the last thing I say. And then I'm going to pray for us. This holiday coming up, there's a way to celebrate it. Totally disconnected with Jesus' death and resurrection. There's a way to celebrate it that we don't need for him to have died and risen again. There's a way to call ourselves a Christian that doesn't require Jesus to have died and risen again. And that is a way that leads to death. This is the climax of Jesus' life and ministry. The climax of our Bibles. And it ought to be the most important event in history for our lives. Because it's only through that, only through His (coughs) shed blood, that we are passed over. It's only because of that that we can pray. It's only because of that 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 we have the Holy Spirit to understand His Word. It's only because of that that we have life at all. It's everything. Or it's nothing. But do not go into this saying that you're celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ if it means nothing to you. Because that's going to make Jesus weep a from now. Let's pray. Father, we are, we're just like children. We're just like children who don't often understand. We see a little land and we get excited. (coughs) Lord, please, 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 by your Holy Spirit, just search our hearts. Reveal to us what's in there. Some of us are so confused, we don't even really know what we really believe about Jesus. We've heard so much and we've said so much. Help us to cut through those layers down deep to who we really believe Jesus is. I pray that those in here who... May have been in church for decades. But have never. Established in their hearts. That Jesus is their Lord. And their only Savior. I pray that you would reveal that. And change that. And Lord may our celebration of Easter. Bring you. Bring Jesus. Much joy. As opposed to the way it was when he entered Jerusalem. And Father, I trust you for that. Because nothing I can say can bring that about. But your Holy Spirit can. Please work in this place. In our hearts. In my heart. Please make us humble and grateful people. Huddled together. Trusting only in the blood of the land. The Passover land. And I ask this in in the Passover Lamb's name, in Jesus' name, amen.